Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Okay. So today I want to uh, continue a little bit with the themes of last week. We're not, I'm not going to go through all of those clips or anything like that. But something that struck me, and maybe it struck you when we were going through those clips from that uh, pastor's um, um, sermon on uh, the book of Acts, was the startling way in which he completely separated God, Yeshua, and the Jewish people from their own scripture. Uh, it, was, it was stunning to me. And so I thought today, and for the next few weeks maybe, uh, when I'm preaching anyway, uh, we would uh, look at some of the book of Acts, because I think he completely botched that book, book up. So maybe you'll read it along with me, and together we can find out what it actually says. So again, this week, uh, like I did last week, I'm not going to uh, interpret everything for you. I'm going to let you look at scriptures yourself and see what the word of God actually says. One of the things that was, the, was most stunning was how he was able, and, and listen, all supersessionists, all replacement theologians, they all do this. So it's not, it shouldn't be stunning to me that much. It was just the startling way in which it was done. To separate the salvation of the world from the, from the salvation of God's people Israel. It's not possible if you're using the Bible as your reference. If you're using some other, something else, maybe you could come up with that crazy story. So today I want to take you through some of the promises. You see, here's the thing. Remember the scripture, there was a scripture uh, that was prominent in uh, the presentation. And it had to do with, it was the, the, the statement of Yaakov, Yeshua's brother, in which he said, uh, I see that God is restoring the tabernacles of David. And he's talking about a scripture from Amos, chapter 2, verse 6 and following, in which the salvation of the world is tied to the restoration of Israel. In other words, if the first doesn't happen, the second doesn't happen either. And yet somehow this person was able to completely twist that scripture around to make it mean precisely what it is that he felt he wanted it to mean. So today I want to look at something. What is the book of Acts about? First, its first thing is how God is fulfilling his promises to Israel, to the Jewish people. That's what it's about. And so today we're going to go through chapter 2 for the most part. Five promises which God made to the Jewish people, without which there is no salvation for anyone in the world. So let's begin. So the first, the first one is a second Sinai. Now you all remember that Messiah Yeshua was crucified on Pesach, right? And on Pesach, we, we commemorate, we celebrate the liberation 
from slavery in Egypt. But we're told immediately after the celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread that we are to count 50 days, right? We're count- during the counting of the Omer, we are to wait 50 days. Now, the children of Israel did not wait 50 days, but they traveled for 50 days. And on the 50th day, they arrived at Sinai. And there, God revealed himself and his word. He made promises to the children of Israel. The children of Israel said, We will do and we will hear. Now, we've had our ups and downs as a people, no doubt about it. But the promises of God are everlasting. God doesn't change his mind. God does not break promises. In the same way, as Pesach is connected to Sinai by the counting of the Omer, Yeshua, after his death and resurrection on Pesach, he instructed his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Ruach HaKodesh on what would then be Shavuot, right? Pentecost, whatever people want to call it. The very day that we commemorate the giving of Torah, we now commemorate and understand that it was on that day that God sent his Holy Spirit to his people. In fact, these are the words of Messiah Yeshua. If I can get this thing to work. Of course. Somebody needs to get me a... Anybody want to... I'm bidding. I'm going to open the bidding at five cents. <laughs> Gathering them together... He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of me, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is this the time you're restoring the kingdom? He said to them, it's not for you to know that. Shut your mouths, be quiet, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. You will now take the mission, not only from here, but all the way to the, to the ends of the earth. But look where it starts, in Judea and Samaria first. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. If it doesn't get past there, it's not going anywhere. Okay. How does God then fulfill his promise to us in this? Promise number one, the second Sinai. You all know this. You've read Acts chapter two. Let's read it again, if I can. It says, when the day of Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind that filled the whole house where they were sitting And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. You see, God, as Messiah Yeshua promised, a second Sinai, a second revelation. The parallels to the first are extraordinary. Oh, tongues of fire on the people, speaking in other, other languages. You know, there's a story about 
Sinai, that when our ch- the children of Israel surrounded Sinai, they heard the voice of God as thunder and lightning. The rabbis tell us that what was happening was, we, it wasn't thunder that they heard, but it was God speaking the Torah in the 70 languages of the world. The 70 languages of the world. And what happened at Shavuot on that day? Oh, there were men from everywhere in the world, devout people from every country in the civilized world. And they were hearing the words of God in their own language. And it was fire upon the, on, on, upon the disciples, just like the fire of the words of God. A second Sinai. The first promise that God would continue to reveal himself to his people Israel. Without that revelation to his people, there is no revelation in the world. And so it says in Acts 2.33, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. It's God's promise fulfilled. Promise number one. The second one is the promise of the restoration of Israel. Now, if you're familiar with Peter's sermon on that day, if you have a Bible and you want to look at, you look at the whole thing, we're not looking at everything. Peter begins to, uh, to speak. And the first thing he does is he quotes from Joel. Joel chapter 2, and everybody thinks, and listen, the Pentecostal folks, they think, oh, this is about the Holy Spirit. You know, let's all roll around on the floor. And do all that. That's, it completely misses the point. So I want to take you back. If you have a Bible, you can skip back to this part of Joel. Well, I'm going to show you scripture. What This is just prior to that portion about God pouring out his spirit on all flesh and old men will dream dreams and so on and so forth. If you, because, look, understand how ancients used the scripture. Rather than read the whole scripture, they would remind you about certain portions and where the expectation was that you knew the context. Because these were people who memorized the scripture. They didn't carry a Bible around in their backpack, you know. It was here. I hope here. That's where it has to be for you and me. But let me just take you back to this portion to see that it's all in the context of God's promise to restore Israel. That's what the signs are all about. So, I stop. Uh, where am I? Okay, that's where I'm So this is a portion from Joel chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. And you'll see there it says, Then the Lord will be zealous for his land, and he will have pity on his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I am going to send you grain, new wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied and full with them, and will ne- I will never again make your approach among the nations. This is God's promise. Immediately following this, he says, then I will, in that day, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
and I will, your old men will dream dreams and young, young men will prophesy. And all the nations will see it. This is why Peter uses that verse. Because this is what you see. Right? That's what they saw. They saw people rising up and prophesying. And, and God's spirit being poured out on all flesh. Because it was a sign of the God's promise fulfilled to Israel of the restoration of his people. Without the fulfillment of this promise, to God, there is no fulfillment of promise. It says in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 30, it says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write all the words which I spoke unto you in a book. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah. The Lord says, I will also bring them back to the land I gave to their forefathers, and they shall possess it. And further in Isaiah, it says, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to the despised one, to the abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers, kings will see and arise. Princes will also bow down, because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. You see, this is the key to understanding why replacement theology, the abandonment of God's Torah, is absolutely absurd because God is the faithful one. It doesn't matter whether we're, un we're faithful or not. God remains faithful in spite of our unfaithfulness. You can always count on that, by the way, people. When you're feeling down and low and you can't, you know, you're not meeting your obligations, I'm not, get I'm not letting you get away with it. I'm just saying that God is faithful. When we turn back to him, he's waiting there for us. Okay. You have to understand that the restoration of Israel is key to the salvation of the nations. I'm going to restore the tenth, the, the, the tabernacle of David. And then all the nations will see it. Then I'll call on a people from the nations for my name. Okay. Stop. Where are we? So you see, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. That's the fulfillment of the promise made in Joel. Because God is restoring Israel as his people. Now, this thing is, okay, the third promise, the resurrection of the dead. Since the very creation of all things, God has desired to dwell in the midst of his creation. That's always been his goal, to dwell in the midst of his people, really be there, and if you read the end of the book, you know that's exactly what happens. But that's God's desire, to be in the midst of his people. It was not our original destiny to die, but rather to live. In fact, you remember the words of Messiah Yeshua. He said this, he said, but regarding the fact, uh, the fact that the dead rise again, 
Have you not read in the book of Moses the passage about the burning bush? How God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. God is the God of the living. Now, at that time, it says, you'll remember that Peter is prophesying about these, the fulfillment of these promises by saying first that God is restoring Israel. And now that the resurrection has begun in the Messiah Yeshua. So, where does this hope of resurrection come from? You remember the passage? Did I, did I, did I put this one up? No. Okay. Let me share a couple of scriptures with you. In Daniel chapter 12, it says, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who's found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, those to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Again, in Isaiah, it says, Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. You see, there embedded in our scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures, is the hope of eternal life through resurrection. Not some, you know, you're not going to die and go to heaven. Okay? That is not the destiny of humanity. In fact, heaven's going to come here. If you read the book of Revelation, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven to renewed earth. And there God will dwell with us. He will be in the midst of the city. This is a promise that God made to the Jewish people in Daniel, in Isaiah. And here in the book of Acts, Peter talking about the resurrection of the Messiah, Yeshua, calling, calling on, the, on the Psalm 16, that David is not in the grave, but he, he will be raised up. It says in verse 24 of Acts 2, it says, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Brothers and sisters, there's no resurrection unless the first Jew was resurrected. We all follow him. Because he rose, we will rise. That's our hope. And so Peter demonstrates this third promise fulfilled to the Jewish people of the resurrection of the dead. That's why, listen, we pray every week. Blessed are you, O Lord, who raises the dead. That's our hope. The fourth promise is the promise of our messianic king. Without the coming of the kingdom, we are lost. You know, mankind has been building kingdoms since we left the garden. 
Tower of Babel. We've been in exile for so long, trying to find our way back to paradise. And so we've built all these structures, all these things. And it's like I was watching some uh, a presentation of this, this theme of, uh, of, our, of our exile as a gigantic maze. We've built all these roads and mazes everywhere. And you know what? They all lead to dead ends. And the Messiah Yeshua has come as the light who will show us the way through the maze to the hope that we have at the end. But we need our king. But here's the deal. He is the Jewish king first and foremost. He is the Messiah of Israel, the hope our, the glory of Israel, and the light to the nations. So, it says in Jeremiah, let's see, that's a, that's a different one, that's from Ezekiel. But I'll, I'll, let me give you, share this Jeremiah scripture first. This is from Jeremiah 33. It says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth. And he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. And again, from this scripture, and this is one of my favorite scriptures regarding Messiah Yeshua, and our time now, my servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. They will live on the land I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, and they and their sons and sons' sons forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Forever. David, my prince, will be... Do you think he's talking about David, son of Jesse? No. He's talking about our Messiah, Messianic king, Yeshua, who will sit on the throne of God forever. So... In Acts 2, in his sermon, you think Peter might mention this? And he does. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel... Does he say, let the whole world know? He's talking the whole world here? No. He says, let all of you know, all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah. This is Yeshua whom you crucified. He is the messianic king, but he is messianic king first and foremost to his people, Israel. The promise is fulfilled in him. The promise is made in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. I could go on and on and on. There are so many prophecies regarding him. So there's the fourth promise, right? Let's see the final promise here. So here, let's go over these promises. A second Sinai, the restoration of Israel, resurrection of the dead, the messianic king, and finally, the return of God's presence in his people. Let me tell you something. If you were to read through the accounts in the Hebrew Scriptures, when the, when the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the desert, is dedicated, on that day... 
The scripture tells us that the presence of the Lord fell on the tabernacle. It was so intense. There was so much kavod, heaviness, glory there in that building that even Moses could not approach the tent as the presence of God occupied the area. We hear a similar thing when Solomon dedicated the temple. Again, the glory of the Lord descended on the Holy of Holies in the temple. And it was so great that it actually blew the priests right out of the area. They couldn't stand it in there because the presence of God was so great. But that never happened in the rebuilt tabernacle, in the rebuilt temple. It never happened. You know, when the second temple was built, there's a story about Pompey the Great, who came into the land of Judea because there was a dispute between, you know, the Hasmoneans. They were, the Hasmoneans were always fighting with each other. And so Pompey the Great came in, and he was going to take one side or the other. But one, one of the things he wanted to do was he wanted to go into the temple. He heard so much about this temple. And you know what he did? So he goes into the temple, and he goes into the holy place, and he walks right through it. And he walks to the holy, to the holy of holies, and there's a curtain there, the parochet. And he removes the parochet, and he walks in there. And he says, are you kidding me? It's an empty room. This room is empty. This is stupid. You people are retarded. There's something wrong with you. And nothing happened to him. See, what, the puzzling thing is not that there was nothing in the room. The, pro, the, the puzzling thing was that nothing happened to him. You heard what I said about the glory of God descending on the Mishkan and on the first temple. Even the holy ones of Israel could not stand there. How in the world did this pagan stand in the Holy of Holies without any injury? The only thing I can imagine is that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God was not there. It did not return until the Messiah himself appeared in the temple. You remember on the day of his Pidyan Haben, Simeon prophesies over him, Hear now, Lord, you have fulfilled this promise to your servant. Hear now, I see a light to the nation, yes, but the glory, the kavod of your people Israel. The glory of God returned to the tabernacle, to the temple, in the presence of that little child who grew into the messianic king. But God had more in store for us than merely his presence in the temple. He had this in mind, these these words from the prophet Isaiah. It says, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground. I'll pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. 
that God would pour his spirit out on his people, that he would dwell in them through his spirit. That was the promise. That's what we long for. Listen, read our prayers. You know, take the time to actually study the Amidah sometime. We pray, Lord, please return your presence to Zion. Right? We pray that prayer three times a day. May your presence return to Zion. And here's the reality. He has. He has. For those who have received his messianic king. And so Peter. You remember what happens. Peter has gone through this entire sermon. He's talked to them about the, the second Sinai. He's talked to them about the restoration of Israel. He's talked to them about the resurrection. He's talked to them about the messianic king. He's told them all these things, promises fulfilled by God to his people. But there is one more. He said to them, because the people are stunned. And they all say to him, Look, Peter, what should we do? What should we do with this information? What should we do with these promises that you say God has fulfilled to us? And Peter says to them, Peter says, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Messiah Yeshua for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for as God promised you in Isaiah, remember that scripture, this is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as our Lord will call to himself. So we turn to him. The nation must turn to the Lord our God and receive the Holy Spirit, receive his power. It's a promise that God made to us and to our children. And oh, by the way, to those who are far away. If you know the book of Isaiah, you know that's a reference to the nations. An invitation to the people of the nations to join with Israel in the salvation of the world. But only after the promises have been fulfilled to God's people. Brothers and sisters, salvation will never be complete without God's promises being fulfilled to all of Israel. And we know in the book of Romans, he says just that. That one day, my people will turn back to me and I will forgive their sins. And then at the end, at the full, at the, in the fullness of the Gentiles, whatever that means, God, the, the children of Israel, will turn and see their Messiah. But, this, but salvation for the nations is tied to the salvation of Israel. They cannot be unloosed one from the other. If you try, the whole structure falls apart. And the word of God becomes null and void, which can never happen. And so, what was the final result? If you remember, what happened at the end of the book of Acts, at the end of the book of Acts chapter 2, is this marvelous, this marvelous business. It says there, 
Okay. It says, beginning in uh, verse 42, it says, and, and this group of people, let me see where that says. Ah, here it is. In verse 41, he says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day, uh, that very day, if we're going to believe the account, 3,000 souls. By the way, any one of you who still holds on to this, this uh, notion that the apostles were in some little upper room uh, doing all of this, how did they get 3,000 people up there? I don't think so. Okay. No, they were on the steps of the temple where there were thousands upon thousands of people celebrating Shavuot. And it says 3,000 people were baptized that day. And they received the Lord. And then it goes on to say, and they devoted themselves. By the way, 3,000 Jews. Okay? Just so we're square. All right? And it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. I want you to, I want you to understand the order there. That they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Here's my problem, and I said this last week, and I'll say it again every single week until we all get it straight, that unless we know the word of God for ourselves, we, we become victims of others who will abuse us, who will tell us all manner of fairy tale in order to achieve whatever their goal might be. I don't want that to be you. I want you to know the word of God, so that you can examine it and know and determine what is true. Hold fast to what is true. Let go of what is false. Be able to identify falsehood in this world. Because there is a truth. And what will be the happy result when we ourselves turn our hearts completely over to the Lord? Well, so what did it say? It says, and day by day, attending the temple together, Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's got to be us. You see, the key to revival in this world is the revival of God's people, Israel first, and the nations together with them. And we have to live out the life of the Spirit in this world. Listen, no gimmick changing the Scripture. I'm going to talk to everybody. No gimmick changing the Scripture to accommodate people's crap is going to save, is going to save them. That's what I see happening with all of this. Oh, listen, we don't need the Scripture stuff. We can do... We, you know, the, the moral, ethical dimensions of Torah don't mean anything to us. We can make up our own thing. That's to accommodate people's sin. That will never win the day. What will win the day is our abiding in the word of God. And the only way you can do that is by knowing it. So I challenge you all. Learn the word of God. Commit it to your heart. And then do it. Right? Nase ve nishma. 
we will we will do and we will hear lord our god i just want to pray for all of us that we will not be fooled by foolish words rather we will know for ourselves because you have given us your word you have given us the opportunity to know it Thank you, O God, that we don't have to find it somewhere. There are bazillion Bibles everywhere we look. And all we have to do is read it for ourselves. Help us to do that. Have the commitment so that fools will not fool us. That we will not be duped and led down primrose paths. Wide is the door, but narrow is the road. Yes, everyone is welcome as long as you want to walk on the narrow road of our Messiah. May we walk on that road together. And we bless you in his name. Amen.